1: Welcome to the Yanks Coming Soccer Show. My name is Carter Krishnan. I'm joined as always by Neil Blackman. And we've got with us today a special guest, USSF presidential candidate Mike Vinegrad. And uh, I'll lead off here uh, with you. Uh, you've put some exciting plans, interesting plans in place uh, in, in terms of your vision for U.S. soccer going forward. Uh, what uh, specifically motivated you to run Uh, for president of UF Soccer at this point. Sure.
0: Well, well, first of all, thanks a lot for having me on, guys. Uh, It's a pleasure. Uh, You know, this this started, I would think, when I was coaching my kids. Probably about 10 years ago when I got involved, my kids were at the rec level, and I I started sort of working with the programs here to help make them a little bit better. And then they got involved in the travel program, and it was really an eye-opening experience to see how fractured everything very hard to figure out you know I I didn't understand why did I have two passes you know why did I need one pass for one game a different pass for a different game that pass for another tournament people said this league's better than that league but teams from this league beat teams from that league and that league has six divisions so how could it be so elite it was a very confusing fractured landscape and that really got me thinking that we need to sort of make things better for the kids for a lot of things that just weren't in the kids best interest in terms of you know travel times and whatnot. Uh, that really was where it started. And, and I, like everyone else, uh, you know, was, we were, I was disappointed when we didn't qualify for the World Cup. That to be really just one game. It was really what led to that. It was years in the making. And I sat down and said, you know, there are a lot of things that we can make better. This is a game that I loved, I played, I coached, I managed my entire life. And, uh, you know, I want to make things better.
1: You, you obviously... I I follow... Oh, go, go ahead, Neil. I, I could... Yeah, no, um... Thanks for, thanks for spending
2: a little time with us today. I, I truly appreciate it. I think one of the you know discussions that – and I usually don't even leave with this. So You'll be the first candidate we talk to you where I, I've kind of led with pay-to-play, which, which isn't – I think – if I'm being honest, I think it's pretty far down on the list of things that we should be concerned about. But I wanted to get right, – to avoid the, the situation where these podcasts become, Oh well, I've listened to this and he's already said this. Um, you know I think we, we risk when we talk about pay to play we risk saying uh, an answer I think is okay is is it's not going away so we need to find ways to, to make soccer more accessible right but I think right. the lawyer in me kind of grimaces at that answer I guess because there has to be some more nuance to that so I mean is there anything specific you had in mind maybe it, as it speaks to pay to play, and then, you know, what role does the U.S. Soccer president really have in, in implementing any of those reforms? Because I think there's a question that's fair about what power the U.S. Soccer president has to really implement much
0: change. So, so when you think about pay to play, and the way I've phrased it is reducing the cost barriers. We're never going to make everything free. That's not the practical, you know, sort of goal to make you know soccer in America free. We need to reduce the cost barriers, both in pay-to-play, when you're talking about young kids getting into the game, and coaching education, when you're talking about young college graduates who want to pursue a business career, but at the same time, take a course and help out their community because they just played four years of college soccer and have a lot to offer. There is a practical uh, potential here for U.S. soccer to get involved and help reduce those costs. And look, that's, that's not say you're going into private businesses and and stepping over private businesses and getting into the models where private businesses compete, but there are ways that we can raise money to lower costs and make it more accessible. So when you think about pay-to-play, it's not just the cost, but it's also are fields accessible? Are there clubs in underrepresented communities? And those are all things that, that U.S. soccer can do. And I've talked about five different ways that we can help. Now there are some some things like the surplus, where you can, you've at least got some money there that you can use towards this. You've got to invest in teams making sure you're not leaving public grant money that's available on the table. You need to invest in things like the U.S. Soccer Foundation. The U.S. Soccer Foundation has done this, and it's done it well. I've been a contributor to the U.S. Soccer Foundation for many, many years now because it's a, a great mission and a great organization. They have figured out that we can get into inner cities, underrepresented communities and build fields and run programming to bring kids into soccer. And the way that they, one of the ingenious things that they figured out is we we, we don't just have to go to big companies and banks and raise money in that respect to do it, but we can actually go and get municipal funds to do it. We can go to the city of Atlanta and say, you've got money earmarked for infrastructure development give that money to us, we'll build fields, we'll run programming, and we'll make soccer accessible to a whole group of folks that just weren't able to play. The fourth thing is is raising money in the private sector. And my law firm represents the biggest private equity firms in the world, you know, from Bain Capital to TPG. About two weeks ago, I was in London with a client, uh, the CEO of LGIM Properties. LGIM Properties funded the development of of Saint George's Park, the FA training facility. So, those are the kind of folks where I speak their language, and I had great conversations with the CEO of LGI Properties, and we talked about you know U.S. soccer and, and can we get that kind of money into U.S. soccer? And the last thing that I've mentioned in terms of making it more of a reality, in terms of reducing those costs and increasing accessibility, is solidarity payments. And most people talk about solidarity payments, and they think about it as just the money you get if you actually successfully get a player who you developed into, you know, to sign a pro contract. But it's more than that. The idea of a solidarity payment creates an incentive for upfront investments in local clubs at the local youth level, it, and it enables a club to hit a market that we can't get to—that local market—to go to a local business owner, a local resident, and say, hey give money to our club, make it easier for us to, to get kids who may not be able to afford the high cost of soccer these days, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because if we get it right, like I think we will, you're going to get your money back. And so those are different ways that you can actually make a dent in this and bring those costs down, make it more accessible, bring more players that were not involving in soccer into soccer and make it more, again, practical for all of those players to continue playing
1: in the game. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned the U.S. Soccer Foundation, uh, Mike, and, and elaborate a little further on that for our listeners, because uh, there are a lot of programs they're involved with at the grassroots and inner city level uh, in giving grants and what have you that I think many fans of the sport are not aware of in this country. Talk a little bit about that and, and what your vision would be uh, for working with the U.S. Soccer Foundation if you're president of U.S. Soccer
0: sure so you know and and let me start with way before i knew what the u.s soccer foundation was when i was a uh when i was managing and i would started up a, a pro team in the a league the Staten island vipers and i and i had gone into law school after that and come back one of the things i'd done for that entire uh, time period was go into schools in the inner cities uh it was mostly in harlem and, and other places in new york city and we would go into schools and teachers would allow us to run gym periods and we would coach soccer. And we would we would have fun and introduce kids to soccer and play. And and it was important then because it was the right thing to do and it was just important to me. When I learned about US Soccer Foundation, and that is the charitable arm of US soccer, it is it is going into inner cities and building fields, build whether they're futsal courts, whether they're courts on top of tennis courts or whether they're full fields in the cities. And so, you know, I, I spent some time in San Francisco where my sister lives, and I'd go for a run and I would run by in some of the parts of San Francisco where there is no access to soccer. You'd all of a sudden stumble upon a great futsal court with US Soccer Foundation logos that they had raised money for and built. And what that field did, and I and, and this happened, you know, last summer, ran by, saw the, the court Came back the next day, went on the court with the soccer ball and wound up playing pickup with a whole bunch of kids, you know, for a couple of hours. That would never have happened but for the US Soccer Foundation raising funds to identifying an area where there is just no access to soccer facilities and building a court. That's what they do. And again, through when when I say, you know, they've done a good job, we need to invest and, and give them more more resources, more, more staff to do an even bigger job than they're doing now.
2: These are the sorts of, of practical things that I think, one thing that you're touching on a lot of this is practical things that, that U.S. soccer actually is within its power to do. You know, that we're not here waving the magic wand and, and creating sort of right. this panacea for for all the problems that, that cause World Cup qualification failure and, and so on and so forth. I I, wanted, I think it's important in that, in that respect when we talk about investment to talk about the women's game. We just had one of the institutional um, sort of beacons of, of women's professional soccer in the United States. The Boston Breakers are going to close shop. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, there's, there's probably a host of things U.S. soccer can do investment-wise to improve the, the state of the women's game in the country, which sounds like an odd thing to say, since the the national team is the world champion, but you're also talking about a a closing gap worldwide, whether that's a technical issue or, you know, an equality of of facilities issue. Um, What type of of role do you see U.S. soccer playing in in terms of the women's game, if if you were to be the
0: president of the federation? You know, U.S. soccer's role is, is influential, and you have to remember, U.S. soccer has, it, it, you know, doesn't have the power and shouldn't be involved in, in, you know, running private businesses. You know, private businesses need to ultimately stand on their own. But we need to support them. We need to do what we can. And there are lots of ways that U.S. soccer can do it with respect to, to you know, the women's game. The, let me, let me just start with, with a couple of quick ideas. So we have the ability. You know, U.S. soccer can be a liaison. U.S. soccer touches on other private businesses, other sections of of the landscape, and we need to make sure that to the extent that we can serve as a liaison and bring parties together and help private businesses make deals with one another, that we do that. And whether that is bringing private equity firms and saying, hey, make sure you take a look at the women's game, you know, this is, uh, you know, they are, this is a great model, this is something you should invest in, whether it is pairing the pro leagues you know, with, with, the, with, with MLS, as many of those teams have done already, and realizing that, hey, wait a minute, we've got MLS who is stable and, and has a lot of synergies with us. We, can, we have a lot of overlap on the administrative side. We can use them to bring down our administrative costs and use a stable, financially sound model help us and pair up with MLS, U.S. soccer can facilitate that. U.S. soccer can work with the NWSL and, and figure out ways to make it more attractive for athletes to join the league. And that's not just like you said, you know, waving a, a, you know, a wand around and sort of saying we're just going to, you know, get people here. But we can, we can create incentives. So, for example, for the last 10 years, I've, I went to Lafayette College. I played there for four years and and for the last 10 years i've had the lafayette team come to my offices in the city and introduce them to life after soccer we have about 30 or 40 alums that come every year and we get we ask a handful to talk about their career paths this is what i do this is how you become what i do And, and it becomes a networking night as well we need to make sure that we are making clear to women who are considering going into the nwsl hey listen do it because it's something you love. Here are all the benefits that you'll get for the rest of your life out of doing this. And by the way, if you do it for three years and you decide you want to go on, we've got an alumni network that is, that is you know, that will help you in life after soccer. And that includes leading by example. It includes making sure that U.S. soccer is bringing women into the front office, bringing women into administration, seeing where we can get women more actively involved in the business of soccer, uh, those are the kind of things that we can do to help the league get stronger and, and financially even more stable. And I'll, and I'll say this about the NWSL, and, I've, and I've, uh, I've spoken to Amanda Duffy several times, and they're doing a great job. I feel like that league is is despite what, what you know, despite some of the you know some of the teams and the issues they're facing. I feel like that league is is switching a little bit from survival into growth. And that's a great, it's a great
1: yeah. position to be in. Let me follow up on that with uh, your own experience in lower division men's soccer with the A-League, with, uh, fa- helping to found the Staten Island Vipers. The challenges, the drama, the um, financial pitfalls, any adjective you want to use or any descriptive set of words you want to use to describe lower division men's soccer in the U.S., you can use. And uh, chaos, again, is reigning uh, this off-season. So, um, what would you yeah. do... To bring some more clarity to uh, the Division Two and Division Three situation, if you're U.S. Soccer president.
0: So again, that is sitting down. First, first of all, you know, I hope the NASL survives, and I would absolutely get them back Division Two status. I don't, you know, it, it, it's just not in anybody's interest for them not to have it. But this again is where you need to be able to actually be a facilitator. You need to make sure that the league you cannot dictate to MLS or any other league what it should or shouldn't do. That goes for the MLS, USL, the NASL. You know, US soccer doesn't have the power, and it shouldn't just be in the business of, of ramming things down people's throats. But what you can do is make sure that people understand US soccer's interests and that they're giving those interests due consideration. And so in terms of forming clarity, it's a conversation. You need to be able to get into the room with those business folks and talk about what's in the best interest of US soccer and in their best interest. Because a private business is going to do what's in its best interest. That's its fiduciary duty. But you need to be able to articulate why following a common path is in fact in the best interest of a private organization. And and while a short-sighted you may say, you know what, I'd rather not do that if I'm the business, you need to make sure folks understand, well listen, want to go rogue and go out on your own. Here's what life looks like outside of this umbrella, and that may not be a great path. That's not ramming anything. It's just being able to get into a room with folks and make sure that you're articulating in a persuasive way why the path forward is together and making sure that private businesses give due consideration to the interests of U.S. soccer. Ultimately, private businesses, like I said, are going to Conversation. And this is what I've done. You know, I mean, I've done this for 17 years. I've been in boardrooms. I've been with CEOs. I've been in cases where you've got tens and tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions, and sometimes even billions of dollars at stake. Those are very serious competing interests. And nobody on the other side of the table is going to just do something because they you know, think you, you made a nice speech. But if you can actually engender confidence, earn their trust through integrity and objective, and then articulate why it is that the common path forward is in fact in their best interest, I think that's how you start to get people to think about clarifying the lower divisions, figuring out the best structure, and, and talking about things that will help U.S. soccer ultimately in the long run.
2: We've had, you know, the the decade plus of, of the Gulati leadership style, which has a lot of, I mean, I think lost in, in some of these this is just a personal opinion, but lost in some of the the criticisms is just an immense amount of progress that's been made under Sunil, right? Um, in, right. in a lot, yeah. in a lot of areas. Right. Uh, but it is sort of a distinctive leadership style that's a little different than your let's have a chairman of the board who who's there to receive sort of sounding board ideas and then sort of guide discussion to, to productive solutions. I mean, wh- what's your sort of vision of of what a U.S. soccer president should be. I mean, is it somebody that's a little more centralized in terms of their control and leadership style, like Sunil Gulati, or is it is it maybe something a little different?
0: the game you know on univision and and that was it (laughs) so there there's no question that we've made a tremendous amount of of progress when you talk about governance style different people have different styles and 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 you know when i look at companies and i represent a lot of them and even law firms they can be run differently different people who start you know if you and i start our own company they may be just as good as one another but they're going to be different you have different personalities we have different you know priorities and so they're gonna they're gonna be managed differently with different cultures. And that's not to say dictatorships can't be run and and you know well and successful in the business world. I don't think that governance style works in a constituency-based organization like US soccer. I by personality and otherwise and how I've always worked, am a lot more collaborative, I'm a lot more about building a consensus, and I think that's what you need in an organization like this question, which is, what's the role of a president of U.S. soccer? Now, that's an interesting question because people talk a lot about how it's unclear. The fact of the matter is, if you read the bylaws, it's not all that unclear. Right. The, the bylaws specifically define what the role of president is. It's to run the board meeting. It's to represent the U.S. in FIFA and CONCACAF and 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 serve as a director, an ex-officio uh, member of the we know in nonprofit that means being the visionary, working with others to come up with a vision, working with others about a process to implement things. It doesn't mean actually executing everything day to day. We have a CEO for that. So when I think of the president, which raises a whole interesting question about the, the, the issue of you know, whether the president should be paid, which is a sort of related but different issue. But the when you when you think about the role of the president, it is to lead U.S. soccer. It is to Heard and 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 are being and, and the constituents are being empowered to carry out their own missions. That's the central role, I think, of the president of, of U.S. Soccer, uh, and it and it's defined as that. Now, there's going to be hands-on a lot of hands-on uh, activity by the president, especially to fix some of the things that have lagged behind or are broken in U.S. Soccer. When it comes to figuring out a structure on a state-by-state basis in U.S. Youth Soccer, that's not something that the president needs to be involved in, needs to listen, go to our, you know, the state associations are our representatives at the state level, needs to go in, listen to them, listen to folks with boots on the ground who've been living this for decades, and figure out with them and the other, all the other leagues and interested parties in that state, what is the best way to structure things in this state? And again, then it is to get in a room with them and help make it happen. You're not going to be able to delegate something like that. That's going to take a skill, Something that's again the kind of thing that I've been doing for 17 years. If it were easy, I'd be out of a job. So it's not <laughs> a the president's going to have to roll up his sleeves. But you know, again, the, the the role is defined in
1: the bylaws, and, and we need to be cognizant of that. I, I, as a uh, follow up to that, I think you might have answered my question that, that I had already. But uh, what would you do to restore some degree of balance between soccer houses mandates and directives? Uh, and the state soccer associations and their wills, their desires, and quite honestly, their their local knowledge? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you've got to empower the
0: state associations. You've got to empower the, the members of U.S. soccer, right? That's the very first step. It's no different than, than you know, in, in a business with, with an employee. You know, as soon as that employee feels empowered and understands that he or she has discretion to carry things out, take on that active role again. And we need to give power back to the states. Um
1: Uh, that's all I had. Do you have anything uh, else?
2: No, I think that was fantastic.
1: Yeah, I, I think you covered everything. So uh, uh, Mike Vittegrad is, is the candidate. Uh, February 10th is the USSF election in Orlando. Uh, best of luck. Thank you for joining us. Let me
2: ask one quick final, okay. you know, say goodbye sure. question to, to, to Mike, which is uh, just let people know if they don't know already where, I mean, Google search would solve this, I suppose, but, you know, just where can they find... Is there a platform that people could look at or
0: anything of that sort that we could point people towards? Sure. Yeah, sure. So my, my website is www.winogradussf.com, so w i n o g r a d u s s dot com. And that's got my initiatives, and it's got some thoughts i put in on other hot topics and a an in-the-press page where i try tried to put a lot of the press and the interviews and the features, as well as some of the position papers that various constituents have asked us for, whether it's the athletes or adults, you know, it's U.S. adult uh, soccer. So the, my website's a pretty good source. I'm on Twitter at USSF as well. Um, I think the, the, you know, both of those are pretty good sources.
1: So win- Fantastic.
0: Thank you
1: again for your time. Yeah, USSF is the site. Win- WinogradUSSF.com is the site. Thanks again for your time. And uh, best of luck in this election.
2: Guys, I really appreciate your time. Hi, I'm Taraji P. Henson. In my new movie, What Men once I can hear men's thoughts. Better-
0: On February 6th, catch a special girls' night out screening of the movie critics are calling outrageously funny. I the am. must-see comedy. I wouldn't miss it for the world.
2: Amazing!
0: taraji P. Henson, Tracy Morgan. If you only knew what I was thinking right now. Trust me, we don't wanna know. <laughs> What men want rated R under seventeen not admitted without parents. Girls' night out screenings Wednesday, February 6th. It's heaters everywhere, February eight. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like taking those perfect New Year, New You portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved and wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store
1: today.